finished last week's episode yet? <laughs> a few people have. I've had a few responses saying um, they've enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, I enjoy doing those. Yeah, you told me you told me before we started that it maybe two hours, maybe two and a half. And I don't know if you noticed, but I intentionally just added things throughout. No, you didn't. It was good conversation. I I injected stories I would not have told otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it was a very good episode. Yeah, yeah, it was. uh, I hope so. Uh, This week we have an update on the global situation involving apple and dating in the netherlands what's that it's not really global well it's international it's it's specific to one country because they're not rolling this out to anywhere else because well it's it affects the california company and then you go on the globe you go you globe trot and it and it it happens in another country okay Oh, would you, would you consider that. this in person or, or remote? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's remote, that's for sure. Uh, so we've obviously spoke about this countless times on the show before because it has stretched on for so long. This is the whole thing where the Netherlands Authority for Consumer Markets did an order which basically said Apple would have to open up dating apps on the App Store to purchase methods other than Apple's in-app purchase system, either through website links or through in-app payment systems inside the app itself. They enforced this at the beginning of the year, I think, in January. Apple immediately started to appeal it, but they were required to do it even during the appeal process, which is still going on. Uh, there was a couple of rounds of Apple like suggesting what people should do. And I mean, they've even added like APIs to the, the system SDKs by this point to help show all the payment sheets and stuff and the acceptance sheets that declare that you're leaving the app. And for whatever reason, it took... Apple in the Netherlands about five different rounds of going back and forth to actually get to a set of rules that they both agreed on. And finally, this week, we have confirmation that now Apple's revised rules as of June 10th, 2022, are acceptable to the ACM's order. Obviously, Apple's still appealing it, and that'll probably take years, you know, to resolve. But the interesting changes in this final resolution, assuming you've kept up with every other update, is that now they further revise the language on the in-app dialogue so it's slightly less because remember the first time they came with the dialogue, it was like only Apple's payment system is secure. Everything else is trash. And then they slowly softened it. And now it's like even more slightly softened. But the, the core of the last revision is still there, but it is slightly tweaked. They've also clarified the rules around what alternative payment systems can be used, because previously it basically said you're allowed to use a third party payment system if you get the entitlement and the payment system complies with Apple's level of security and privacy and user permission right and that was kind of vague it's like well what does apple mean by that now they've expanded and written in words it has to meet level one payment card industry compliance whatever that means it has to make a customer service process available for users including a process to dispute unauthorized transactions and request refunds and it has to denominate all prices for the sale of goods to users in the netherlands in the euro currency so they've explicitly give you three bullet points that the payment system will comply to which seems fair enough because before it was pretty opaque they also now allow an app to offer either external links third-party alternative net payment systems or in-app purchase or any combination this was one of the big things that we actually flagged on the show before where the acm order says that an app should be able to offer either external links or external payment systems and apple's rules always said you must have one entitlement not both and so that always seemed like such a flagrant defiance of what the acm had required but finally apple's come around on that so now you can have both entitlements in the same app at a time you can offer all three payment methods if you want to and then the biggest like 
change I think that actually impacts may, well maybe not but the biggest like financial difference is that now do you remember Zach what the commission difference was for if you were using a third like how much did uh, if you're using a third party payment system how much did the dating have to pay to the third party payment system do you remember no I don't remember it was it was high right yeah, yeah. so a, a normal in-app purchase transaction from Apple costs 30% Apple would give you a discount of 3%, so you'd have to pay 27%, right? Yeah. The 27% is still in place, but they've made it slightly fairer. So now if you are apply- if you are applicable for things like the subscription after a year where it drops to 15 or the small business program where it's 15 if you make less than a million dollars a year, in the previous set of rules, those like discounts wouldn't apply. You'd only get the 27% rate. Now you get a 3% discount compared to what you'd normally get. So if you're in the small business program, it's 12%. If it's a subscription after a year, it drops down to 12% as well. So basically, you're always now slightly better off by using the alternate payment system. And Apple's saying, our ecosystem, our platform, it's worth X minus 3%, basically. So all Apple's trying to push here is that the 3% is only there to pay for the merchant processing, credit card processing fee. The remaining percentage is to give us our commission that we think we deserve that's obviously up for debate and a very long discussion we've had several times before i don't want to repeat that but fundamentally now you can always get a three percent discount if you're a dating app in the netherlands if you want to go through all the palaver of running alternate payment system on your own this is what apple's willing to do in force i think there's something sort of balanced about uh the fact that they only reached an agreement after apple had paid the maximum amount of fines possible which was 50 million euros yeah 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 <laughs> it's like can't can't find you anymore based on i guess countries regulations but uh then then they reach an agreement good good for them it's it's a it's a you know it just proves if you, if you work on a relationship you know you can you can resolve things that's good do i think anybody's actually going to do it no the only people <laughs> that might do it is uh, Match Group, which owns Tinder and Match.com and all those kind of things, because they're in that Coalition for App Fairness baloney stuff, you know, like that group uh, that's got Spotify and stuff in it too. So maybe to make like a political statement, they'll go to the effort of implementing an alternative payment system. But in the scheme of things, an average developer, the cost of all that admin and, man- and management, and remember, you have to send like your reports off to Apple every three months to get it like invoiced, like all of that rubbish, customer support is worth way more than 3%, so it doesn't make sense for me to do it. So this is what the ACA have enforced for now. I'm sure in the fullness of time, there'll be even more lawsuits and and monopolistic regulations and stuff that say Apple can't charge 3% discount. They got a bit of a bigger discount. But anyway, this is how it stands for right now. And I'm glad that we can finally put a dotted line and, and a tick next to that, at least individual court order. Mm-hmm. Now, last week I tweeted out, uh, huge watchOS 9 news, spin the crown to eject water is now press the crown. And that tweet was pretty popular. It showed a screenshot of the new dialogue. And, um, you know, I, I said huge watchOS news because I thought it was not huge <laughs> watchOS news. Um, I thought it was interesting. It was interesting, yeah. And then, like, there was a lot of, like, you know, it got a lot of engagement and people had ideas like, oh, this is the first sign of um, like a solid state digital crown coming. Um, Which has been rumored a few years right. back, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then someone else mentioned it's not just for, for water lock mode, it's also for sleep mode. Our colleague Chant said that's why he couldn't figure out how to leave sleep mode. <laughs> I can imagine when you first wake up, you're like, what? What? 
um so well, at least for that- when i did it if you go into the swimming workout like the if you explicitly start swimming workout it'll tell you and say now you have to hold down the button to exit but yeah. obviously you can ex- you can enter the water lock mode without being in the workout and you can even enter the water lock mode if you just click on like running workout or walking workout and in those cases it doesn't have any instructions until you actually try and leave and then most of the buttons do nothing at all right and, and my most frequently used use case is i use this mode if like my watch get, if i'm washing dishes or i or i'm in the shower or something in the and like the watch obviously has been you know in, in water which is totally allowed but the speaker will sound weird for a little bit until it dries out i just want to eject the water from it and, and you have to, to to reject the water manually you have to enter waterlock mode and then unlock it and so that's what i was doing was um just trying to eject the water from the watch and uh because it makes that you know do 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 sound and then spits it out uh and so i was doing that when i saw it um but there were there were a lot of ideas too about you know you know why they made this change but you know the previous method was spinning the crown and until you reached a certain point and then it would do it um i guess this morning we had a, a tip from somebody that just kind of you know their take on on what this is about um so w- what's that yeah so tommy from uh, sent a nice little email to the 95 Mac ticks inbox saying have you noticed they've changed how you get out of warlock mode um and he pointed out that the reason they've done this is that now while because now the workout app has those multiple different views when you're doing a workout that you access by scrolling vertically and so that's including things like your activity rings or the heart rate zones um previously to watchOS 9 the workout app would only scroll laterally i.e., left and right it wouldn't scroll up and down so the crown's movement was irrelevant to that screen but now if you're in the locked mode if you're in water lock mode you can scroll the crown and it will navigate up and down the workout view pages. So you can actually use the crown for a functional use whilst the touchscreen is out of action because you've locked it and presumably it's got water on it so it doesn't work very well anyway. Um, so that's... by As soon as I read that, I was like, oh, that's why they've done it. Because I was really confused. Like the, the, the go-to explanation for my part was definitely, oh, they're going to do a watch that has a solid-state crown or a capacitive crown and it can't rotate like that, um, which then would be disabled because of water and the, the interference from water but now you mentioned that that's obviously the reason is that now if you're in the locked mode you can still scroll the crown and see workout information without having to actually use the screen so with the ability to scroll up and down now having a function they had to change it to a long press gesture to unlock and get out of the mode mm-hmm. so that makes sense functionally i will say in terms of fun and in terms of like experientially of actually just trying to do the water lock mode and stuff Spinning the crown worked a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it yeah. felt better. The animation was more in time. You got the you got like the sound effects and the and the vibration. The the long press. I'm pretty sure it takes longer to actually kick into action, and it doesn't feel as like connected to actually what's going on the screen. Yeah, I, someone had replied and they said, "Oh, I can't wait for my kid to discover this on my watch." You know, and I think like grabbing a button for a few seconds is easier than consistently spinning it until it reaches a certain point. But um, yeah, and. Before they had the scrolling view of like seeing your activity rings in any workout or the heart rate zones in certain workouts, they you could spin if you weren't in a locked mode, and it would just change what the larger metric that you were tracking was. I mean, it was it was it would <laughs> you always have like one that's colored and then three that are smaller or so, and it would let you change the one that's emphasized. But that was a very small feature. I mean, it was just visually different, not functionally different. 
so yeah now they've changed it functionally it's probably better because you can access the workout views but the coolness of that old animation interaction is slightly lost happy hour this week is brought to you by linkedin as we enter the summer season the sun is out it's hot outside and even better small businesses are back in business linkedin jobs is here to make it easier to grow your team and find the people that you want to interview faster and for free you can create a free job post in just minutes using linkedin jobs and your post will reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people on the linkedin platform and when you add your job post you can add the job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your personal linkedin profile to spread the word even more to signal that you're hiring and boosting the reach across your personal network of friends and colleagues so they can help you connect to the right people linkedin jobs also has simple tools like screening questions to make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience for what you're looking for. So you can target the most qualified applicants and quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. And that's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one job site in delivering quality hires compared to the leading competition. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash happy hour. That's linkedin.com slash happy hour to post your job for free. That's spelled L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash happy hour. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring the show. Next up, we've got stage manager and all the managed expectations and yeah. Controversy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this one. so yeah, yeah, this like <laughs> the 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 we neither me or you has really had spent any time like using the stage manager feature, right? So commentary on the actual feature, I'm still trying to reserve and hold back on because my experience is from the Mac. You've used and, it on the Mac a bit, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'll just give my quick TLDR of like how I feel about this, but um, on the Mac. I I think I characterized it last week as this, but it's just a bit of a focus mode um, versus because it's less capable than other modes. And so I consider it kind of a focus mode, kind of limiting what you can do on the iPad. It's extending what you can do than ever before because there's such a gap in, in functionality there. Um, but if I were an iPad user and didn't use a Mac by choice, then I think I would be disappointed still in how stage manager only gives you functionally a, one additional app, even, you know, than what multitasking has done before. And I would be a little bit annoyed that you could run eight apps from your system, but it only if you have an external display. And I would be annoyed that you couldn't do eight apps on your single iPad display. You know, if you've got a larger screen, especially, but with, with all that said, uh, if I had a 2020 iPad Pro, I'd be annoyed. If I had a 2018 iPad Pro, I don't think I'd be annoyed. But the 2020 one, I, I would be annoyed. And um, yeah, that's that's me. That's what I have. Yeah, so you so obviously now. people are annoyed. And I think, understandably, because Apple over time has built up a lot of reputational goodwill from the fact that they support their iOS devices for many, many years, far beyond what the industry does, and give people a lot of new features for free with every yearly update. So although you should only ever buy something based on what it does now, not any promise of what it does in the future, a lot of people buy these stuff with the expectation that Apple's going to give you features over time for at least a few years, right? And they've done keynotes where they've like 
hammered this home. Like I distinctly remember the iOS 12 keynote, right? They had that entire massive slide on screen where they showed like their entire product history devices and like iOS 12 goes back seven years and we're loved to support all of our oldest and newest customers, right? Um, and then you get a feature like this where people have wanted more multitasking capabilities I've been begging for it for years, not just when the M1 generation came out. Like the M1 generation definitely emphasized it even more, but 2018, we were definitely talking about this. Even before that, we were talking about this a bit. And here it comes. Here's a feature that Apple calls Stage Manager that lets you do windowed multitasking with some quirks and behavior and stuff around the edges. But essentially, you get what people want. They want to put a few apps on screen and multitask between them and then also make the external display functional not just a mirror of your screen and it's not only can it display like a full app full screen it can also be interactive so you can take your little trackpad and cur- or mouse take it up to the external display and actually use the app on the external display which is something you've never been able to do before and so in ios 16 ipad OS 16 whatever you want to call it that is stage manager and it's stage manager exclusive to the m1 ipads only which is only ipads released like a year ago or less iPad Air, and then the two sizes of iPad Pro. So if you did spend $1,000 on the 2020 iPad Pro or $1,000 on the 2018 iPad Pro, I don't think you're insane for think, for like feeling like you could get Stage Manager or at least some of the features of Stage Manager. Like, it doesn't feel ridiculous to me that if you, like, if you bought a $1,000 Mac in 2018... And then Apple did like new features for it in 2022. And most of those features were not available on your 2018 machine. I think people would be pretty upset about it. That doesn't really happen anymore because A, Apple supports their Macs quite far back and B, the Mac doesn't get crazy features every single year. But if you want a direct corollary, Stage Manager works on every single Mac that gets macOS Ventura. So you can go back and buy the old crappy 2018 Intel MacBook Airs and run Stage Manager on it, right? So there's a direct correlation if you really want to go that far. But even at a more fundamental level, I think that people would be happy with a compromise, right? You don't have to deliver the entire Stage Manager experience to make these people that are upset and expected to get some part of the whole of what was shown at the keynote. Like, when we watched that keynote, there was nothing about Stage Manager to me that was like, this is so advanced, so next level, that it's going to be M1 only. When they said it, I was like, oh, it's M1 only. That's a bit of a bummer. And naturally, people who, are, and I'm not one of these people, people that do own expensive iPads that are not that old are now upset about it. And I think what's really annoyed people, and this is where I kind of come into the conversation, is that Apple has gone on this like press tour of trying to make up for the fact that it's not available on older iPads. And they've come up with reasons that seem a bit flimsy and not, really holding up to scrutiny so in this is the 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 one that really kicked this off was an interview with TechCrunch, which was with craig federighi and he says point one it's only the m1 ipads that combine high dram capacity with very high capacity high performance nand storage that allows our virtual memory swap to be super fast and that enables us to have up to four apps on the ipad panel plus another four on the external display and we have plenty of memory because of virtual memory swap a if you go to pre ipad os 16 you could already get a fair amount of windows on screen at one time and the system would keep a load more in the multitasking tray ready to be instantly unfrozen. Now, you're not ejected for RAM, just sitting there frozen in RAM, which heavily suggests they have enough RAM to keep a lot of apps alive. And so on iPadOS 15, you could very much have a split view app of two apps plus a slider, plus a picture-in-picture, and then you know five or so more apps in the frozen in multitasking mode. 
So that's, you know, you're getting up there in numbers. But even if you could only get the four apps on screen that you get before, but in floating windows rather than the old arrangements, I think people would be happy with that. But Apple didn't give that. And Federighi's argument is there's not enough RAM and we need to have high-speed uh, NAND to get virtual memory storage to, to be able to take advantage of swap. Well, here's one chink in that armor. The base model iPad Air, which only has 64 gigs of storage, does not support virtual memory swap. So why is that a requirement? Federi in this, in this interview says it's a requirement for Stage Manager to operate, but they literally ship Stage Manager on an iPad Air that does not support that exact very feature. So there's like arrow in the chest number one. Secondly, he also says that we view Stage Manager as a total complete experience that it involves external display connectivity, and the IO and the M1 supports connectivity that our previous iPads do not. It can drive 4K, 5K, 6K displays. It can drive them at scaled resolutions. We can't do that on other iPads. Well, I would say it's a very convenient argument, because why do you view Stage Manager, Manager as a total experience that involves external display connectivity? I think much of the value of the feature is splitting them up and say you could have just multi multitasking windows on the iPad screen. That's a standalone feature. It doesn't. It's not really connected to the fact that the external display support has been improved at all, apart from the fact that you can package in this feature that's only... Like, why does the fact that only the M1 can drive 5K, 6K displays at scaled resolutions have any impact on whether a slightly older iPad can multitask a few apps on screen at the same time? Like, that feels pretty weak argument to me. Uh, so, have as that as what you will. And I believe the iPad Air doesn't even have Thunderbolt port, right? That's correct, right? It only has USB-C. So Correct. if if you want to make a if you want to make the fact that you're only supporting the complete experience of the highest end I/O, well, you also support a USB-C connector, not just the Thunderbolt connector of the iPad Pro. So another chink in the armor, and the fact that they say that we view it as a as a as a total experience, there's huge precedent. Plenty of times in the past, Apple ships features with various degrees of functionality depending on which year model of iPad you've got. Like I don't think people are annoyed that. They don't get the entire stage manager experience on the older platforms. I think they know they don't get any of it. And if you look at iPadOS 16 as a complete operating system, if you subtract the M1 exclusive stuff, there aren't many features left over. <laughs> like, it's just a fact. The iPhone lock screen stuff doesn't come to the iPad this year. Like, all the stage manager stuff, take that out. What have you got? You've got a weather app. You've got some collaboration features. You've got, the, you know, the nice updates through all the apps. But those key, like, headline tombstone feet not tombstone but you know what i mean keystone features if you take out the m1 stuff it's not a great year for an ipad user who's not using m1 os they're just using the old ipad os right so not being able to throw my bone in any way is unfortunate and obviously causing frustration finally uh Federico says we really designed stage manager to take full advantage of the m1 if you look at the way the apps tilt and shadow and how they animate in and out to do that super high frame rates across very large displays and multiple displays it requires the peak of graphics performance that no one else can deliver uh, i don't know about that like i look at those animations they look really pretty they look really nice but they don't look like so transformational that they're a, a, a generational leap compared to what ios devices or macs or anything have been able to do for a long time like the genie effect on the Mac, that's from 2005, right? The trash can animation where in notes where it would like crumple up into a little piece of paper and get sucked into the toolbar item that was the bin, that was delivered on the original iPhone, right? Like the um, the page turn effect in Apple Books 
was there with the original iPad and it looked beautiful. And in fact, they've removed that with iOS 16, which is very sad. But that super advanced 3D animation where even the ink from the previous page would bleed through the back of the new page you were turning, that was shipped on the original iPad. Like the animations and the compositing of the windows that are in Stage Manager, they're cool and pretty. But I don't think they could only be done on the latest hardware. I think that's that's quite a stretch. Finally, when you put this together, we can't deliver the full Stage Manager experience on any lesser system. I don't think people are asking for that. They want the features that Stage Manager provides. They don't necessarily want the full Stage Manager experience. They want to be able to put a few apps and windows on the screen at the same time and enjoy that. They want to be able to have a functional external display experience. And this this is not just about appeasing people with old hardware, although I think they should be appeased. It's also about making Apple's iP- the entire iPad lineup that Apple sells right now functionally superior. Because they sell the 329 iPad and the iPad mini right now that don't have M1 chips, so they don't get any of these features. It would be great if you could plug in a 329 iPad to external display and actually use one app full screen on that display in an interactive mode. Same with the iPad mini. Like, that would be fantastic. Uh, but they don't let you do that. And even on the M1 iPads, where this is possible, you can only do stuff like the external display interactive apps if you enter the stage manager mode by opening control center and clicking the button. I don't think it's ever, I don't think it's been proven yet that stage manager is the best metaphor for managing windows. And even in these articles and like the talk show interview, Federighi says, look, we get it. You don't have to use stage manager. We're offering m- several different methods for doing multitasking. But on the iPad, if you want to do external display in full screen mode, you have to use stage manager. If they could augment the stage manager experience with a way to take an app full screen on external display and just make it work, that would benefit old that could, that feature could be made available to all iPads. It would benefit the people that are upset at the moment because they didn't get any new features. It would benefit the brand new iPads they still sell right now that don't get any of the features. And it would benefit M1 iPad users who don't like stage manager. They just want to use a window on the external display. So I feel like this whole situation is pretty messed up and Apple has not helped themselves by releasing these statements in interviews that specifically pinpoint these technical barriers which don't seem to be technical barriers with slight inspection. If they had just come out and said, we focus on the M1, we believe these are iPad Pro features, you know, they could spin it nicely. But something in that domain, not a five-paragraph explanation where he like breaks down I.O. and swap and stuff when one of the iPads that has stage manager doesn't even need swap, etc., etc., and like all the graphic stuff... There would be less anger because people are dissecting the explanation Apple has provided through these interviews and realizing it doesn't, it's pretty flimsy explanation. So I think they've approached this in a pretty bad way, uh, both in terms of the choice of not to do any backwards engineering for older hardware and the way that they've then presented that in, in the media. Do I think it's going to change? Uh, I'd say there's a chance. I think there's been enough smoke about it where they might consider doing something like making one window work on external display interactively because remember all these ipads are perfect capable of showing the app full screen already you just can't like put your cursor up there to actually click it so there's no like performance difference it's just been a software limitation so i think there's a chance that they reconsider and they take the backlash on board one other thing i want to point out i know it's been a bit of a rant but here we go one thing that people have said is that one of the reasons why this shouldn't be a technical obstacle uh and they can just do it on any ipad is that the A12X chip in the DTK, that was the Mac Mini Apple gave to developers before the Apple Silicon stuff was ready. Obviously, the DTK could run Mac OS X with multiple apps on screen, which is like m- way more than what Stage Manager could. You wouldn't have any limits to that number of windows. 
I wouldn't use the DTK as a good example there because I had a DTK. The performance was pretty bad. Like it wasn't a very nice experience. It, did it work? Yes. Was it nice? No. So theoretically, I guess you can do it as like a theoretical proof that even an A12X chip can do this kind of stuff. But the DTK did have more RAM. It had 16 gigs of RAM. And whereas a lot of these iPads have like eight or six or something. But just in general, it wasn't a great experience. I think you can set aside the DTK example and just take everything at face value, especially looking at the fact you can already do a split view of two outs plus a slider plus a picture in picture and see that previous iPads older than one year ago are quite clearly capable of doing multitasking in a different UI. So that's how I would approach it. If I was trying to argue the case, I wouldn't use the DTK as an example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, anyone who's upset about this, I totally back them. <laughs> Even if you're upset about your 2018 iPad Pro, I think that high-end iPads have just been a bad investment in the last several years, like maybe even since they've been around, mm-hmm. especially when you add in the cost of external keyboards, external input methods. You can spend much more than a Mac. And since the M1 MacBook Air at $1,000 came out, unless you just you know, really need a touch interface or built-in cellular connectivity, it's tough to argue that the iPad can be a better value than, than the Mac can. And I back this whole, you know, argument completely. The campaign. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The whole campaign completely uh, without having, you know, a a horse in the race because I've just kind of, you know, given up interest and can the iPad, be a more modular system than the Mac can be, you know, can can it can a can a tablet become a laptop, become a desktop? iPad can, but the system doesn't adapt to it the right way. So for me it's just not I, I've I'm not interested in that anymore. But I I do think even with backing this campaign, I do think that this is at a certain level distracting from the discussion of just how good even is stage manager on the M1 iPads that can do it. I've seen consensus forming around the idea that stage manager, you've got to go out of your way to turn it on because it's a separate mode. It's just not as fluid and accessible, intuitive as split screen and side. And it uses up a lot of space if you have the sidebar dock thing visible all the time because then you've got bottom dock and side dock visible, which is a lot of screen real estate, especially on current iPads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know... uh, Hopefully, hopefully there's a a lesser version of Stage Manager that doesn't factor in external display support because that's got to be a a minority of iPad users using that setup. Or just external display support on a 4K display. If they said you can do, you can put an app on external display, but it's not going to do a 5K or 6K or a scaled resolution, I'd be like, okay, but you can do it on a 4K panel, which is what most people are going to do. That'd be acceptable. Some, I think they got to throw them a bone in some way. Like you can't just encapsulate all these slightly related features under one name and be like well we can't deliver one part of this so you're not getting any of it mm-hmm. sure sure yeah uh but just the fact that to have external display to get that to unlock the other four apps of stage manager mm-hmm. you need to have a mouse uh a keyboard and a display to unlock something that your ipad can technically do based on what they're telling you uh i mean just just the ability like you've got to be <laughs> Either you have a worse experience when you have an external display and you have eight apps on screen at one time, or you've just got a lot more free resources when you're using only four on the iPad on its own. Because even, because it's, I mean, it's easy, it's even more of an ask just to have a, d- a display being powered by your iPad. 
you know, just lighting it up is resource intensive compared to using your iPad on its own. So um, it, it's all, none of it feels very good unless you are an M1 iPad customer, then you, you don't care. But um, if you've invested in a, a more recent iPad, a high-end iPad, you know, marked as pro, then um, I think it's perfectly reasonable to be it upset definitely about stinks, this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if, like if nothing, you know, if Apple made no changes, you know, they can do whatever they want, but it, it does amount to a disappointment in what prior iPads, like what their full potential ever becomes because stage manager is, is not that big of a leap from three apps on a screen, you know, two and split view one and slide over and the slide over one, you know, the biggest change there was whenever it got the iPhone 10 level multitasking mm-hmm. flow where you can have apps in slide over, you know, that are just kind of popping They're over your screen. You can pull them in and out as you please. And you can also switch between a bunch of them at one time. So there's like quick access to different apps uh, all at once. The, I don't. I don't think Sage Manager moves beyond that very much at all. And uh, you know, it definitely has some advantages, but it also has disadvantages, right? So if, if you're just using the iPad on its own with no screen attached, and you've got four apps, and they they're not actually, you can't do like a grid of four apps either. You can't do you know equally sized grid four apps. Yeah, that's such a good point, by the way. Like we spent all this time waiting for Apple to be like, now split view can have three apps at a time. They never did that, and they still haven't. Now you've got to go into a completely different mode to get a different arrangement of three apps. Like maybe some people have been way more satisfied if you could just split view with three apps at a time rather than two. Sure. You know? Yeah. 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 More the Mac is very good. The, the iPad is good if if it if it does what you want it to do. And if you're disappointed in the iPad, don't expect major changes. You know. And now you Mac. can't expect Cons- stuff to improve in the future because Apple's going to cut it off. <laughs> 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 Right, right. And they do seem to be very fond of stage manager as, as the solution. And I, I, because it's a separate mode, I don't think I would expect much of an investment in non-stage manager multitasking going forward. Like it seems like that's peaked and then stage manager is a new thing. And maybe you, you get five apps on a screen at once, you know, and like a, a chip upgrade. I mean, you'd but. have to hope that assuming people, you know, acclimatized stage manager and it's generally accepted that they would at some point make stage manager the default not the opt-in mode right and so then the default is windows just float around and you have to like explicitly full screen them getting even more closer to a mac experience but yeah that is kind of i guess where they're headed eventually uh assuming the, the original stage manager concepts pay off in reception customers last thing i'll say on this i said earlier there's loads of precedent for apple for doing you know, moderated version of features depending on which hardware you've got. That is 100% true. It's also true there's plenty of precedent of Apple cutting off features for no reason other than you, they want you to buy a new model, right? Like portrait lighting style, not portrait, uh, like the well, they, for photos, for, what's it called? Photographic styles in on, that's a, quite a recent one on like last year's iPhones, right? Where it's like you get to choose vibrant or cool color shades. They could do it on an older phone, but they don't because they want to make it part tied to the new hardware. Um, you know, quick, quick take where you hold the camera button and it, and it films a video. Yeah, there's loads. Like, even if you want to go back to classic, like, even when quote Steve Jobs was alive, they they made Siri an iPhone 4S exclusive when it could very easily have run an iPhone 4 if they really wanted it to, you know? Yeah. So, like, there's plenty of precedent as well of cutting stuff off for no reason. So, I guess maybe this could be one of those cases. But the way they've handled it in the PR and the interview and stuff, at this point, I feel like they've kind of dug themselves into a hole where everybody's going to be like, 
but you said you need a virtual memory, but not, but clearly you don't because this iPad did. You know what I mean? So they've kind of put themselves into a hole here where I feel like there's going to have to be some compromise. Uh, maybe it won't ship with 60.0, but maybe it'll come with like 6.1 or 6.2 or something. They, they just need to dedicate some engineering resources to offer some features that people want for non-M1 hardware. And yeah, quick take the the camera feature I was mentioning. They did add that to the next major software update to the previous generation phone. Oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't um, want it launched to make it like a feature of the new phone, but then when the right. software update came out, they're like, "Hey, we can do this now." Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, FaceTime over Wi-Fi on an iPhone four. FaceTime mm-hmm. over. And previous generation iPad multitasking features have also been subject to the different depending on which device you've got. Because like when Split View launched. There were some iPads that only could do slide over and not split view. Like, so you can't even make the argument that Apple wants the like system multitasking experience to be consistent because they've definitely or slide over with the apps and split view still visible or slide yeah or grayed out or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Obscured. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, that I, is I, the precedent I, that they are breaking here. So that's why people had so many expectations about it and they haven't delivered. Yeah, iPads are uh, can be a, can be a bag of hurt <laughs> if you. If you hope for more than what you are in the advertise at the time of buying. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by ZocDoc. No one knows what you're looking for in a doctor better than you do. But ZocDoc is the place to go for all the tools you need to find that perfect doctor. The creators of ZocDoc found all the things that weren't working in the healthcare process and said, let's fix it. ZocDoc makes booking a great doctor surprisingly pain-free. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour to get the app and sign up for free. You can instantly read up on doctors in your area and see what real humans had to say about their visit with verified patient reviews. Just go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and select whether you want to see the doctor in person or via video visit. And that's it. You're instantly booked in. You don't need to wait on hold with the receptionist ever again. And you can be sure that they take your insurance. ZocDoc spans the gamut of doctor services with thousands of providers listed in one app. Whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, a psychiatrist, an eye doctor, or some other specialist, ZocDoc has got you covered. Find the doctor that is right for you and book an appointment that works with your schedule. The ZocDoc app has a super clean and simple design, so booking in for an appointment is just as easy as adding an event to your calendar. Every month, millions of people are using ZocDoc. In a chaotic world of healthcare, ZocDoc is your trusted guide to finding a quality doctor. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. Once again, that's ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. That's spelled Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show. Now on the topic of iPads that are not Macintosh priced, 9to5Mac reported exclusively this week that the base model iPad revision is expected to have an A14 chip and the full screen design like the iPad Air, iPad Mini, iPad Pro. And so USB-C. Instead and of USB-C, which would be the last lightning connector iPad sold so this this would this would retire the last lightning connected ipad and it would be USB-C across the board for ipad that's a pretty interesting ipad and i have to imagine that the 329 price doesn't hold for this particular model and there's still plenty of room between 329 
and four ninety nine for the iPad Mini for it still to be the entry level iPad. And there is some some weirdness around the fact that the bigger iPad would cost less than the similar in appearance iPad Mini that that starts at five hundred dollars. But of course, the difference would be the chip A14 versus A15, probably the RAM amount. The storage amounts are currently the same as 64 gigabytes. But th- this, you know, th- th- we've, we've got the report on this. I have to imagine, like, this thing ships is kind of weird. But it, it's, it's, it's a good revision to the iPad in terms of, like, being modern and everything. And letting yeah, I definitely the- agree, based on the description that we have at the moment, that this doesn't sound like a 329 product. It kind of sounds like a situation where they would sell this at like three ninety nine, and then keep selling the ninth generation to sure. the same price. Like pull a MacBook Air on us, if you see what I mean. So give you a slightly upgraded tenth uh, generation one, and um, with a newer chip and USB C. But then the old iPad can used to be sold at the same previous price point, at least until they can get uh, uh, the price down. And this also looks a lot like the iPad Air because the what do we add for the screen size right now? The iPad Air is is a it's it's ten point nine, I think. Ten point nine, and yeah. the iPad is ten point two, and yeah. this would be a slight increase because of losing the bezels to uh, ten point five or so. So those two look very similar as well. <laughs> so it's it's a, it's a weird one, and it'll, you know this this is one of those things where you know we'll we'll see what actually ships because things are things get planned, of course, and then sometimes it don't happen, but. Um, spec wise, this is it sounds compelling, but it also yeah, it sounds, sounds good. Even if even if, it's, even if it does come out at three ninety nine, like that's still good for the price point. Assuming it's as we described, if it's just the chip upgrade and the like, the design's the same. Maybe they could carry on at three twenty nine, you know. But if they're going to do the high res screen, the slimmer um, symmetric borders and stuff, uh, then I could see it being a three ninety nine product. Yep, and the, and there is precedent for premium to be in the smaller iPad. So in, in miniaturizing an iPad, they sort of see value in that. You know, look at the 12 inch MacBook from from 2015 and beyond. That that was thirteen hundred dollars to start out with, and then up compared to you know MacBook Air that was a thousand dollars or so, even though it wasn't written at the time. So there there is precedent for for charging a premium for a smaller device and then having. Uh, it's, it's got you know the flash hardware on it. It's got um, a newer chip, yeah, so I, you know it's it's possible. So the, this is interesting. And then uh, display analyst Ross Young has had a few reports lately that that you know he he seems to be developing um, a pretty good track record for for display specific uh, leaks. Um, this week he he has a report about a larger iPad. So this is speaking to. You know the what people are saying about when when you do use Stage Manager and enjoy it, then you sort of have a desire for a bigger than than twelve point nine inch iPad at the high end. Fourteen point one inches is the side for this. This is something that could that could come out next year, twenty twenty three. Again, twelve point nine to fourteen point one. It's you know you got about an inch jump there. It, it's not huge. I don't know. That is significant, but yeah. Like yeah, well, it's twelve. Like, there was quite 14. a big difference between the twelve-inch MacBook and the thirteen-point-three-inch MacBook Air, right? Like so. Yeah, twelve-inch, 12 even thirteen-point-three. Yeah, this is this would be twelve-point-nine. The thing is, twelve. You, you think of it as as you don't think of it as a thirteen-inch iPad, but twelve-point-nine, you're almost there. And then fourteen-point-one, you know. So it's it's it sounds a little bit bigger than I think it, than than it actually will be. But but you know when the because the other comparison is looking at the the iPad. 
the difference from 11 inch and 12.9 inch that's that's nearly two inches and before that it was 10.5 i think we was the ipad pro size so so that's Mm -hmm. always been a bigger jump but this seems like a smaller jump but also the bigger ipad always does feel just massive when you first start using it compared to any ipad that's smaller than it so but yeah it definitely feels like a dinner tray the first time you use the 12.9 but yeah right especially that original 2015 one with the fat bezels on both sides yes yes (laughs) yeah but but i think this is you know a a perfectly reasonable next step for the ipad screen size increase however yeah however (laughs) the bit that makes this confusing is that this is apparently not going to be a next generation of ipad pro because ross young says it doesn't have a mini ad screen it's just a plain lcd panel Right, which so is the 11 inch iPad Pro right now, but I think that changes with the next revision. It would be mini LED like the 12.9 inch iPad Pro already is. Uh, but but marketing wise, I mean, you know, I guess I guess the screen difference isn't the only only thing that defines Pro right now, because there are two different screen types on Pro. It's it's Face ID as well. So would this use Face ID instead of Touch ID? Hopefully, you know, at that level. Otherwise, it's it's a bigger version of the iPad Air. Dude, that'd be pro. a weird product lineup if that's how it shakes out. It's not a pro model thing. Like, like if like having a a fourteen inch iPad is fine, but I also feel like at that point you should offer a, an iPad Pro that's also fourteen inches. You know, like so. And that so far, there's no rumors that they would do an iPad Pro that's that big. So, so that's yeah. it. Maybe maybe the rumors just wrong there, and it is a mini LED panel or something, or I don't know. Or maybe Apple's going to like scrap me the LED and be like, hey, forget about that. Now you've got a 14-inch screen. <laughs> like, I don't know. But going to making, like Apple has slowly been making iPads bigger, right? We just talked about the 10th generation getting slightly bigger. The iPad Air was 7.9. No, no, no the iPad, iPad Air. Yeah, iPad Air, yeah. The iPad Air was 9.7. Then it went to 10.2. Then it went to 10.5. Now it's 10.9. So like they've been yeah. creaking the sizes up and the screen resolutions are getting ever more denser because they've been anticipating a future where iPad displays are more capable. And one of the features, uh, and uh, sorry, iPad OS is more capable and taking advantage of that screen more. And we just literally s- stopped talking about Stage Manager, which uses a lot of screen real estate for the extra dock thing. So if you get a bigger screen, you can have like the screen you used to have, but also have a dock on the side. And if you do some fancy math, you can work out that the you know the new you know the iPad Pro M1 with iPad OS 16, it gets that um, more space option, like a scaled screen resolution option. Mm-hmm. If you do that screen resolution, and I can't remember the numbers offhand, but that screen resolution at proper density, i.e., not squished in, but like at what you'd expect it to be laid out, it comes out to about 14 inches. So you could get the resolution that you get with the more space option in your iPad 12.9 today, but it would actually be on an actual one-to-one scale full-size display. So Cool. And if you do use that, I have, again, I don't have an iPad that can do it, but I've seen demos of this on YouTube and stuff. The difference between the, the standard and the more space option on iPad 16, it's pretty significant. You get quite a lot more space. So this could be directly where this 14.1-inch iPad is heading. The confusion around the Pro stuff is weird, uh, maybe we just have to wait a bit longer for the rumor mill to kind of get itself in shape on that one so we get a bit of a clearer picture there. Yep. Uh, now for some Mac stuff. Listeners of last week's episode know that I received my Mac Studio in the mail toward the end of the episode. I, and I've been using it, uh, I guess, for one week now. And um, I, the coolest thing 
well, two two of the coolest things are all the ports. There's so many ports. I love all the ports. You have four U. This is the base model. Four USB C or four Thunderbolt four on the back, two USB C on the front, SD card on the front, two USB A on the back. There's just so many ports. But then with the studio, the studio display, you get more ports because it's got USB C on the back as well. And now for the first time, I'm using a second display with an Apple Silicon Mac. Because it was MacBook Air before, I never used the Pros. Now I can have a second display. And there's ports on the back of that too. So I've lost track of how many USB-C ports I have, but there are plenty. <laughs> <laughs> there avail- there's availability on the, both monitors and, and the machine. But I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel... It feels like a very good investment for like long-term Mac use. And I highly recommend it. I, yeah, you know, when when the Mac Studio first came out, there was a lot of talk about the fan noise. I think my environment is just too noisy for me to to, to hear or notice it because I've, I've I haven't picked up on fan noise yet. So it's so funny hearing people talk about yeah. the Mac <laughs> fan noise because some people say it's directly noticeable immediately. Here you can hear yeah. it. Other people say it's silent. I, so I reckon there's variation in production here, and some sound worse than others. That's that's my that's been my running theory because the gamut of descriptions of how the Mac Studio sounds is so wide, and it, we have found out the truth that um, it's basically stuck at thirteen hundred RPM the fan. But I, a lot of what people describe the noise as is almost like coil whine, so like the internal power supply is making a noise. So maybe some power supplies are more like slightly less securely rooted on the motherboard, and therefore they make a bit of noise. So like I have no proof to that, but that's kind of been my like out there th- speculation on why we have yeah. such different reports on the noise of the studio. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, 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 if you were asking me just without any uh, knowledge of the, the sort of controversy over the fan noise when it first launched, I would tell you it's silent because maybe you just have bad hearing. <laughs> per, uh, yes. Perceptibly for me, I, I, you know, I, I would say I just haven't heard it yet. It's like using a MacBook Air. <laughs> But of course, it does have the big fan. So does the monitor, by the way. You know, that's got a fan. And I can put my ear up to it and like hear the slow flow of air coming out of it. Maybe even feel it more than hear it uh, for, the, for the monitor. But for the for the Mac Studio itself, it's just this big, big computer box on my desk. And um, yeah, some, some people think it's so bad looking that you have to put it under your desk and everything. I tell you, like, you know, for the money it costs and everything, like, I'm proud that it's on my desk. I'm, I'm displaying it. It sits, you know, just sort of off to the side from any of the monitors. And I, I just kind of love that it's this little, little, little power box. You know, yeah. I don't it. think it looks ugly. I just think it was a bit of a disappointment. They didn't go more out there with it. Right. Yeah. We spoke about this at the time, but like, if you just take it for what it is, I think it looks fine. Yeah. The 2013 Mac Pro. For all of its performance issues, is like the epitome epitome of Mac design, in my opinion. Yeah, it's and you one hundred percent know that the components of the Mac Studio could fit and work with good thermals in that Mac Pro design. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but this is like if they if they just say the Mac Pro design for twenty twenty two and put that as the Mac Studio, everyone will be flipping off yes. their rockers. That would be so cool. But yeah, yes. Instead, so one of the best Mac designs ever gets uh twinged with the thermal corner garbage yeah 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 mm-hmm. well one yeah. thing about the student mac studio that i know you must be very appreciative of is the front-facing sd card slot because that has been I've an used ongoing complaint from you about ever since the 2016s got rid of it <laughs> i have laptop. used it so many times over the last week you know i've got this my my current like non-iphone camera is this little sony rx100 uh, mark 7 and it's, it's like a premium point and shoot 
And I try to use it more than my iPhone because any dedicated camera over the years is like, it just kind of ages better than the iPhone except in certain situations. But um, I, I, I try to remember to use like a, a dedicated camera as much as I use my iPhone. And so I, I, I have it on my desk and I like shoot birds with it outside and, and my kid and, you know, products, you know, for, for uh, coverage on nine to five Mac and everything. So um, being able to just pop the SD card out and put it in the front is <laughs> I really do appreciate it. And this, I, I'm, I'm really content with this combination. Uh, I, I, I didn't go with higher storage amounts. It's, it's the 512, the base model 512 gigabytes SSD inside. The I think it's $200 to go up to one terabyte and then another 200 to have two terabytes. And I just decided with all the ports, and I, I, I've got like six gigabytes of, of external storage on my desk anyway. Um, and with all the ports, it's not a concern. So there's that. The 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 four terabyte drive that I have is very noisy. It's, it's one of the like G drive Thunderbolt uh hard drives on a big metal enclosure that one's pretty noisy like dial-up internet the lacy orange drive that i have i never hear that thing um but that one's the smaller of, of the two um but i i did look at you know what if i wanted to replace like the the one of them with um an external ssd you know obviously without the same performance as the internal ones but still ssd over uh hard disk and of course it's like half the price of, of having it included with the built-in storage you know um, to you know, get I think two terabytes for for two hundred dollars instead of one terabyte, and and so on. So um, that's something down the road I might look at, but I'm really content right now with just what I have. Uh, and 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 having a second monitor, it, my second monitor is the LG 4K Ultrafine, and it's not perfect. Like it's got some some wear and tear on the display part of it. Like the edges have a little pinkish to it, and there's a new thing where it's got a little blue spot in the top middle. Nice. But just being able to like throw a video over there or my my email or calendar or both or all three things, you know, it's I, I like the, the flexibility of being able to put something over to the side and then reference it or, you know, have it going at the same time as what's on my main screen. Obviously, I would be happier if it were another studio display. But uh, I already had this available, and and it was just really nice to just oh I've never used Apple Silicon with two displays before. Let me let, oh this is really lovely because the last yeah, time they, I did this was the twenty the the sixteen inch MacBook Pro from twenty what was that nineteen twenty twenty the Stacey yeah model yeah yes yeah, <laughs> that was twenty nineteen yeah 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 like the M one Max is obviously what I have in the laptop as well. You can just open window after window after app after window do whatever you want it doesn't matter like i've got lazy about closing windows because now they can just stay open and i don't even i couldn't even tell right like with my old laptop i had to carefully curate what stuff i had open at what time because if i open too many safari windows the fans would start going crazy on this i can open whatever i want and i I mean, I do have more RAM than you do, but even on your RAM uh, in, in that model, you can have so much stuff open. You can put five apps on that second display and never even look <laughs> at them, and it doesn't matter. You know, like you can, even you can be do- so wasteful with it and not have to worry. Yeah. It's so good. You can even do four apps at once. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, you are not using the Studio Displays webcam. <laughs> uh, I, I, I actually, I do use it, and every single day I use it. But I, I just happen to have the Logitech Brio 4K webcam that I used when when I didn't have a monitor with a built-in webcam. 
And, um, or I would use the MacBook in, in clamshell mode or, you know, whether it was the Pro or the Air. And so I had this 4K webcam. I thought, well, you know, it's 4K is better. And it's dedicated. So I, I plugged it in this week just because, you know, got all these ports. So now I can choose between, you know, the built-in one or this one. And, um, you know, I, I use the built-in one just for convenience most of the time. But um, it's just in the last couple of days, I plugged up the, the Logitech Brio 4K. And it's, I think the neat thing about that that one is that it's got an app that you can customize, like the zoom level. You can customize the, um, the degrees of, of view from like 90 to to under. Um, you can manually adjust things like color and saturation and exposure and all those things. So um, the, re- the re- real reason I plugged it in was the the continuity camera feature, you know, from the iPhone to the Mac with iOS 16 and macOS Ventura coming. It, it, I thought, well, that is kind of cool to be able to have a webcam in front of you and a desk view over here, e- even if it is you're doing screen sharing to show that desk view. Um, so I thought, well, let me plug up this Logitech thing and see if I can kind of emulate that, but with that, like actually, you know, two two can two webcams. Um, and so far, you know, get, you can do it. So that's kind of fun. But I love all the ports. I, I I haven't gotten in the habit yet of being lazy with window management. I'm I'm still in the, you know decade plus long habit of managing windows and, and quitting apps before I do, you know, something more intensive and then definitely closing windows. And um, one of the things I appreciate about this is just the fact that I can have, you know, if I've got a Safari browser with 30 tabs and I'm just working through them um, rather than, you know, a, a read it later service or something, then um, I, I can leave it up and they're just going to be there. Like they're not going to go away on their own. And I, I haven't gotten in the habit yet of doing that. Like before we recorded today, I started, you know, closing windows and everything. <laughs> Maybe I'll use Stage Manager and 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 kind of go into that focus mode, but uh, in the future. But um, yeah, so I've got to give it a few weeks. Myself. You'll just leave yeah. the windows open. Yeah, yeah got to retrain myself. But but it was fun. I used uh, in lo- in in Logic. I used the built-in drum feature where you can sort of like there's different you know characters for lack of a better word drumming styles you can do to um like like instead of using like a drum loop that's you know canned it's um different drumming patterns based on loudness and complexity and and style and so i used that feature on logic this week and and then recorded some guitar over it and um that's one of the things where the setup process just for you know doing that on a notebook that you know you've got to choose what what things are connected and everything um realizing you know with the mac studio okay or with the desktop mac in general you know you can kind of have things always plugged in and and you know you compare it to the imac right now and the imac has two ports it's just like it's a desktop macbook air um you need a an external you know dock of some kind to extend beyond that but with, with the mac studio having all these available ports i just kind of tried it out and i was like oh, that, that i've never used that that drum feature before that's really impressive and um you know kind of changes the, the way i was playing so i like that a lot um so so Putting the studio in the Mac Studio, yeah, I'm I'm quite happy with the purchase. And last thing I'll say is, you know, our, our audio editor Seth Krakowski, uh, he, he he's very in, like if you make a decision, <laughs> a purchase decision, he's very susceptible to make the same one. And <laughs> after my Mac Studio arrived, he listed his iMac on eBay. And it sold, and he was kind of unexpected. He didn't expect it to sell like within the first day, and it did. And and so he was like, "Oh no, all I have is this this older MacBook Pro." And so um, he 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 wanted the idea was to purchase a Mac Studio as well. And when his iMac actually sold within one day, he's committed to it. I think he's ordered one, and he's waiting. He ordered through Apple for for certain perks, but um, 
I think he's waiting three months. <laughs> it's not that bad, you know. I think it's like uh, between seven and ten days or so. Oh, actually, that's so, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty good, pretty good. So. Have you seen the studio display? Is super back ordered. Like, yeah, and and you can resell yours for quite the premium. <laughs> Thought about selling mine and like ordering the uh, scalping out. Yeah. <laughs> Or ordering a couple or ordering you know, a version with the nano texture or something. But <laughs> that's, that's too much hassle for me. But, you know. Yeah. But anyway, Mac Studio, two thumbs up from you. Way two thumbs up. Absolutely. The only complaint I have is that it does have an, an addressable speaker. You know, you can choose for system output to have um, your, your Mac Studio as your, your, your system speaker. And that... I wish I could just say, don't do that. <laughs> One of my complaints with using the MacBook Air with the Mac Studio was that so frequently the um, FaceTime or or Zoom would default to the MacBook Air webcam, even though it was in clamshell mode, which especially is stupid because it I, doesn't like physically disconnect the mm-hmm. the sensor or connection. So it's not even addressable. I mean, it would default to that. And you'd be like, well, I can't see you. Well, um, it's got to switch the display out. My webcam out to the display. Um, I haven't had an issue with like the Mac Studio becoming the default. Yeah, the Mac Studio becoming the default speaker system, but just that it's there is kind of risky. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I look at my um, like, yeah, yeah, I look at my my speaker options. There's a, there's a lot of between um, the the microphone, headphone jack, the the display, the um, other display, the Mac Studio, and all I really want to use is the Mac Studio built-in speakers. So luckily, it doesn't change in the background or anything. And the, the fact that I'm not disconnecting and then reconnecting a computer, you know, you don't have um, Windows resizing and everything and states changing. So, um, yeah, yeah, two thumbs up for sure. Happy Hour is also sponsored by Upstart. If you're carrying the burden of high-interest debt, perhaps that's multiple credit cards and only paying the minimums each month, that's a tough situation to ever see the light at the end of the tunnel, and often it can be even harder to ask for help. It's just a discouraging cycle. Well, that's where Upstart can come in. Upstart's powered personal loans can help you pay down high-interest debt all online with simple and easy-to-understand payment terms. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, Upstart can help you get one fixed monthly payment with a clear and transparent payoff date. Upstart has already helped more than 1.8 million customers on their path to financial freedom. Rather than looking at just your credit score, Upstart's model considers other factors like your income, employment, and other information provided in your loan application to help you find a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000 without impacting your credit score. And you can receive funds in as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Don't wait and check your rate today at upstart.com slash happy hour. That's upstart.com slash happy hour to check your rate today. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. One more time, go to upstart.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Upstart for sponsoring the show. Now we've got uh, news on the MacBook Pro M2, the the... The one that we just don't recommend to people. It is but, a surprise, yeah. Yeah. Apple released a press release this week saying that uh, starting on Friday, June 17th, pre-orders were going to be available for the MacBook Pro with M2, and it will come out the following Friday on June 24th. That was a surprise because during the keynote, it seemed to be implied that, that 
you know, if not explicitly said that that both the MacBook Air they and did the say MacBook both. Pro, yeah, yeah. Which I actually as- after the press release came back, <laughs> I went and watched it just that segment again just to check what they yeah. said, and they say yeah, both will be available in July. So. Yeah, so so they've they've uh, they they've been able to produce and release the MacBook Pro a little bit sooner, which is you know we don't really recommend it, but in terms of just shipping the M2 sooner, they've they've done that. Um, that's, that's that's nice. It, it was confusing though because it was when at first I was like, "Well, are they doing both? You know, or is just the MacBook Pro? Is there going to be another uh, release for the uh, press release for the MacBook Air?" And so far, there's no release date, pre-order date for the MacBook Air beyond the July availability. But it, it does say that well, they're they're making the M2. That isn't entirely the bottleneck between now and the July release date. That um, you know, maybe may, may using that old design helps speed up the process and and making the MacBook Airs and the new colors and 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 the numbers they need to the you know the, I wonder that's, if that's they knew like the day of the keynote that the date was wrong but like, it was too late to change it yeah I, I made that reference in Slack I think whenever this first came out was or, or in a chat with you was that um, you know it's it's quite possible that the information during the keynote was just outdated and, and you made the point about the FDA FDA yeah for the so Apple for the Watch. Apple Watch feature where it's atrial fibrillation history. They said in the keynote, like, we are taking this to the FDA and we expect to get approval soon. And we'll be the first of it, we'll be like the first manufacturer ever to offer this because the FDA has never approved anybody else before. But literally, the morning of the event, 9to5Mac ran a story showing the FDA listing where they got approval. So obviously, they didn't have it whenever they filmed it, but they did get it the day of. So that was right. one, one case where it was outdated. And it seems like this July promise for the 13 inch Mac Pro was another instance of that. So there's a factor of of non live events as the information can be old sometimes, <laughs> which is for the better in, in both of these cases. So that's nice. So yeah, nobody should buy the 13 inch Mapper Pro, mm-hmm. but it does give us a look at M2 benchmarks, which is cool because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. some obviously I presume reviewers are starting to get them and upturned M2 chip benchmarks on Geekbench, and they are. Close to matching what Apple promised. So in the keynote, Apple promised an 18% faster CPU, a 35% more powerful GPU, and a 40% faster neural engine. Geekbench tests the CPU and the GPU, and it found that it's about 12 to 15% faster in single core. Multi-core performance is up about 20%. So that's quite in line with the 18% claim that Apple gave. And the GPU is about 40% faster. So mm-hmm. if you're if you if you're excited by what Apple told you then you know now what to expect for your MacBook Air when you get it next month. To be fair, one point I will say, there with the M1 generation, the performance of the M1 on the MacBook Pro versus the MacBook Air was effectively identical. Like Apple would talk about having sustained performance load on the one with the fan, but in real-world testing, it was basically never noticeable. Maybe it was a difference of like 3% if you run a task for an hour or something. Like It was mm-hmm. really, really negligible. There's a chance that with the M2 chip, the difference between MacBook Air fanless and MacBook Pro with a fan is more significant because if you're running running sustained activity, because the M2 chip is running at higher clock speeds, it's a bigger die and it's got more cores. So there's a chance that it runs hotter and therefore needs more thermal cooling and possibly could reach its like thermal window in a fanless design faster than the M1 generation did. Sure. Therefore... Maybe the performance metrics we're seeing in these Geekbench for the MacBook Pro aren't quite met in the MacBook Air. We'll have to wait. But I think for the most part, and especially for 
you know, burst activity, i.e. what most people are doing day to day on their computer, not sustained tasks, these these numbers should be the same for the MacBook Air yeah. and MacBook Pro. Yeah, I mentioned last week that, you know, when we say no one should buy this, that it's not like the MacBooks of the mid-2010s where uh, <laughs> they were either just severely outdated. Like the MacBook Air was a bad recommendation for a long time until 2018. Um, any any butterfly keyboard was a bad recommendation in, until they resolved the issue. Um, this is not a bad computer on its own. You know, if you're just viewing it um, as a, as its own, the only computer in the lineup, it's just that compared to the MacBook Air, the, it's the, 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 <laughs> the MacBook, MacBook Air, Air which yeah. is slightly cheaper, is a better option. Right. Uh, like hardware wise, you can look at the spec sheet and do a comparison. And yeah, you've got like, I think you, you've got more you get a slightly brighter screen and stuff. Slightly brighter screen, more microphones, a touch the, bar, uh, more speaker output, ignoring touch bar. Um, it would be kind of reasonable to say, well, you just get a little bit more with the MacBook Pro for a hundred dollars. But the, the the big thing is the webcam being 720p compared to 1080p. Uh, you know, and the design's not, not as cool. It's not as cool, but you know, it's 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 the not, fan it's not MacBook Air design is cooler. It is. It, it's not terrible though. Like it's a good. It, it, it's it fine. Look, it, it it's fine. Now, but if you've got the if you've got the money to buy the MacBook Pro, you've got the money to buy the MacBook Air and. The M2 MacBook Air. And save $100, yeah. Yeah, and save money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they obviously, like, if you could nail Tim Cook down and get him to speak the truth, he would agree with you that this MacBook Air iteration doesn't really make total product sense. They didn't go into their design line and be like, this is what we're going to do, guys. We're going to do the exact same design we did last year. That is what we want to do. Like, that's obviously not where this came from. Uh, but it exists to fill a price point and it exists for the brand of you can get a MacBook Pro for only twelve ninety nine because there'll be people that walk into the Apple store who only care that it's got Pro in the name and they'll buy that one over the air because for whatever reason they see the air is inferior. But if you listen to this podcast, you you need to really have a compelling argument not to get the M2 MacBook Air if you've got that money to spend. If you don't have that much money to spend, M1 MacBook Air, still a good choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... I mean, hopefully, eventually, the the two thousand dollar MacBook Pro fourteen inch comes down from two thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You know, even if it's by a couple hundred dollars, so that will help. Um, also, I can think back to when I was starting college in two thousand nine. The school university recommended or required uh, a MacBook Pro of, of some sort, and in that year, that was when the the thirteen inch MacBook Pro unibody aluminum design you know it was replacing the white macbook pro and it it even replaced a computer called macbook which was the 13 inch macbook pro of the time but without an sd card slot uh so so but but you know point of that is that the school required macbook pro or was their recommendation and they explicitly weren't recommending macbook air and i could see something like that still happening in, in a university environment or um, even a work environment where it's like we 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 order or require MacBook Pro, not Mac, because it's because the you know, the feeling of MacBook Air being inferior and in the Pro being for professionals. So. But a long time, I hope that I hope that we see the the two thousand dollar MacBook Pro come down in price over the years, and and this computer sort of work its way out of the lineup, and it just be modern designs too. And speaking of the future, there was sure. a very interesting report this week from Bloomberg. Mark Gurman says, Apple is planning a 15-inch MacBook Air for 2023 and a new 12-inch laptop uh, for the future. So Yeah, it was like, it was like, hey, 
awesome new MacBook Air coming out in July. Guess what's coming out next year? <laughs> Bigger version. <laughs> and how a long smaller have you been version. asking for a 15-inch MacBook Air? It's got to be five years. Yeah, over five years for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, of, of these two, the 12-inch is, like, is what really appeals to me. Um, because you've got Mac Studio now, I guess. Correct. Yeah. yeah. If it's your only computer, like the ideal only computer, it, it, you know, if you only have one Mac, it's the, the 15-inch MacBook Air. That's very appealing. Um, but if you're optimizing for portability because you've got a, a dedicated desktop, you know, Mac Mac computer, then 12-inch. You know, I, I did own the 12-inch M, uh, Core M. <laughs> not, not not M1, but Core M, Intel Core M, um, uh, MacBook from 2015. And use that for a, a while, you know. I think I think that was one of the computers I've used longer than others, and uh, that was fanless. That got hot. I I, I will say that the display, the size, the display size was awesome. The the overall like volume of the computer was awesome. Um, the amount I, I did use the scale display where you show more things when it's not qu- it's quite as sharp. And also you get less performance because it's graphically more intensive. Mm -hmm. I did use that pretty regularly, you know, when I was trying to do multitasking for work, but, um, yeah, if, if they advance that screen technology (laughs) to be a little even denser than, and, and of course with them, with, you know, Apple Silicon, it's going to be impressive, but, you know, just in risk for now, just reports for Mark for now, but, but, you know, he's got a good, you know, he's got a good track record on that. How how did you, care or deal with the one port nature of that 12 inch when you had it well they they that was the first usbc mm-hmm. apple product and it wasn't thunderbolt right it was only usbc it was only usbc yeah but but that was before usbc came to the macbook pros it was before um uh, usbc was you know like anywhere for the most part and i recall using the the adapter that gave you I think it was like the AV adapter, but it took one the, USB-C the port. Yeah. 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 Use one USB-C port and gave you, a, you know, it plugged into USB-C port, gave you another USB-C port and gave you a, a USB-A and HDMI. And because it gave you USB-A, that was more common to need to adapt to. And so you could still charge it and then do that. But also it, it was just the idea of not having to plug in a bunch of stuff at the same time or, you know, or, you know, it, it was it wasn't so different from like the difference in one and two isn't huge <laughs> difference in one and four is but well, that's uh, what i'm getting at what do you think they, if they do bring back the 12 inch do you think it's gonna be one port again no i think it would be well i think it would be mag safe mag safe and one usbc port and, maybe and one port yeah I can yeah see that. that's not yeah. bad i don't know that's not terrible no nah. do you think the the mac the you know the mac implementation of mag safe or like mag safe three i think is what they're on would be appropriate as an iPad charger and having Thunderbolt or USB-C available for, you know, better, you know, more, you can you can keep it powered on. And, and I also, have put two ports on the iPad. One's a MagSafe and one's a Thunderbolt. Yeah. Uh, the problem with the iPad Pro is that I feel like that's that should just have two Thunderbolt ports on it. If you're gonna if you're gonna give it more than one, I'd rather mm. it just have another Thunderbolt port than. Have a MagSafe port, you know? Yeah. I mean, there were rumors that they're going to add wireless charging through the Apple logo part. So yeah, that's that's no good though. It's a big battery. But but charging over MagSafe, I mean, with a, with a big enough adapter, they pulled off with very power hungry laptops. So I mean, you could do it on the iPad, yeah. But I think if you're 
like it's technically possible, but I think if you're looking at that, you're better off just having two USB C ports on the iPad. Then it's like a yeah. then it's like the 13 inch MacBook Pro, you know. Or, so. I don't I don't think I, me- I mentioned I don't know if I mentioned it last week or not, but not this week at least. But um, I really don't think I mentioned it last week. But but after I purchased the Mac Studio and it had arrived, um, I was talking to our colleague um, Derek Wise, who today's his birthday. Happy birthday. He uh he had offered to buy my MacBook Air before I was even looking at Mac Studio, and when I had the Mac Studio, I said, "Hey, well, you know, it's it's actually available this time." And um, he, you know, Apple Pay cashed me, and I mailed it off to him. And, and this is his first Apple Apple Silicon uh, Mac. He had a 2018 MacBook Pro before with a degraded battery that would last, you know, half an hour, which which could be replaced, but you know, also Intel machine. So um, he he's been very impressed with. The M1 MacBook Air, which Apple still sells for a thousand bucks, compared to you know going from a 15 inch MacBook Pro from 2018 with Intel and a bad battery, he was uh, he's had it for a couple of days and he hasn't charged it yet, and and he was using like Adobe Premiere and and doing editing that way. So, um, I mean, the M1 is such a huge step up. Like, yeah, yeah, it's so good. Any any M MacBook Pro or any sorry any M Mac. It's like miles, miles better than whatever you owned before. It's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about this? You know, since Mark had his report on on 15 inch MacBook Air and and 12 inch uh, MacBook of some kind, there's 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 been a couple of reports, maybe maybe KGI or not KGI, maybe Quo and uh, and and Rossung again, but it seems to be that that the 15 inch sounds certain and the 12 inch sounds ahead of at least the supply chains um, involvement. Yeah. And that, and that maybe even the, the 15 inch might not be branded MacBook air, which I think quo is the one to say that. And I don't know if that just means that, you know, they literally don't call it that. And it's got a, you know, because it's got a different, you know, thickness level, but you know, seem <laughs> that's weird. That's, that's, you know, harder to kind of digest. Yeah, I mean, who knows what it's going to be called, yeah. right? Th- like, there's a lot of room between the Pro and the Air still in thickness right now, even, you know, with the new design. I think they, but... Yeah, I think they could call it Finish MacBook Air and it would be perfectly fine. So. Yeah, me, me too. But what do you think about the 12-inch part of that where it's like, you know, Mark, Mark sees it, others don't? Mark is relying less on supply chain than the other analysts like Quo, right? So Yeah, yeah. yeah he's a reporter he, versus an analyst, yeah. Yeah, so he's like, you know, someone at Apple's telling them about it. So, and it doesn't seem like they've committed to producing it because Mark says that the 12 inch MacBook would be end of 2023 or early 2024. So it's further out, right? Whereas the 15 inch yeah. seems pretty set for next year. So I think that's fair. And like Apple doesn't need the supply chain ramp that they have on iOS devices for a 12 inch MacBook, right? So right, they yeah. can, they can enter it into the supply chain. Like they, they don't have to commit to it until probably a year in advance i.e the end of this year do you see what i mean so like that doesn't really surprise me um i think it's cool they're going to do it again because a lot of people love that 12 inch and the the biggest downsides of the 12 inch are rectified by apple silicon so it feels like a good combination and and the fact that they've made scissor switch keyboards in laptops that had gone butterfly without increasing the thickness of them because that was kind of the thing with butterfly was you know, the it began in the 2015 MacBook, MacBook 12 inch MacBook because it was so thin. It seemed to be well, this is the driver behind that. But then when they actually went back to the scissor switches without increasing the size of the the MacBook Air or MacBook Pro, then 
you know, especially with the MacBook Air, because that's the closest comparison that it seems like they can, well, they can do such switches and yeah, and and uh, obviously the 12 inch was the most chassis constrained in that way, so it probably might have required the different keyboard mechanism. But Apple of today, they wouldn't put the butterfly keyboard in it. They no. put scissor switches and make it one millimeter thicker. Do you know, like the the overall appeal of that 12 inch product is not going away by being an extra millimeter thicker. If that's what right, it, it, and it would use the new design language of the MacBook Air, which is mm-hmm. not not the wedge shape where it where it t- tapers off at the end, but consistent thickness throughout, which is not very thick. So, yeah, but don't worry, it'll still have a terrible webcam. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll have center stage. And, oh yeah, <laughs> no, you know, and, and it wouldn't be hard to improve the webcam from the 2015 12 inch Mac, which is what 480p. Oh. Yeah, correct. It was an yeah. HD. Yeah. So, yeah, so they could do a, a way better 12-inch laptop in summary. Mm-hmm. And it might time. arrive within the next year and a half. Yeah, so so my line to you was that, uh, you know, I, I will strive to not replace the MacBook Air, or to not have a, a a mobile solution until this 12-inch MacBook comes out. Now, going the rest of this year and all of next year. Especially and, with the 15-inch being released in that interim time. Yeah, you know, yeah. but You've talked so much about the 15-inch Air. I bet you'd get one of those, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that the, the bigger challenge is the new MacBook Air and Midnight. You know, if it weren't, if it wasn't in the, the cold Midnight color, I'd be like, oh, meh. But the fact that there's like a stealth mode color MacBook Air and with the the screen design of the MacBook Pro, the, that's pretty compelling. So that is a cool I think color. that will be tough to resist. You know, they're going to sell the MagSafe, the colored MagSafe separately. So if I yeah. wanted to waste sixty dollars, I could buy a color matched. MagSafe charger for my MacBook Pro because I've got you the should, Space Gray one. You should do that. I'm not. I'm not spending sixty dollars on the cable, but the you fact that now it. it's an option, it's like, do they want to just like annoy the MacBook Pro owners who, do you, for whatever do you reason, they the, couldn't <laughs> ship the color matched MagSafe only for like four months before? Do you think that's because they took the feedback from MacBook Pro, or it was just the plan all along? And do you think that they'll change what ships in the box? And uh, I think that. The color match MagSafe charger is a complete experience only made possible by the M2 chip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Finally this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by Pillow. More and more studies are showing that getting a good night's sleep improves your health and well-being in more ways than you can imagine. Pillow is an all-in-one sleep tracking app to help you be more aware of your sleep patterns and discover what might be affecting your sleep quality. Pillow tracks and analyzes your sleep automatically, and you can check in with a full report of your sleep the very next morning. If you have an Apple Watch, tracking your sleep is as, a- is as easy as wearing it to bed. If you don't, you can do it through the iPhone or iPad app. Just tap a button to start your sleep session. You can even record the sounds of the night, like sleep talking, apnea, or other noises that might be affecting how you sleep. Use the Pillow app to check, check trends, get personalized insights, and compare your sleep metrics with your weight, steps, caffeine consumption, and more. Use smart alarms to get woken up at the most optimal time, aiming to wake you up when you're in the stage of lightest sleep. Importantly, Pillow is privacy-minded. All of your sleep and audio data is encrypted and stored on your device, and in iCloud using end-to-end encryption. Pillow is free to download from the App Store with a set of features that you can use for free every day. You can also try Pillow's premium features with a seven-day free trial. Just visit pillow.app to get started. That's pillow.app to get started. Thanks to Pillow for sponsoring the show. Yeah, quite frankly, with Pillow before uh, WWDC, we, we kind of talked about, you know, it'll be awkward if Apple 
uh, releases a really good sleep tracking built in. And, um, you know, what we can say is they, they didn't, they, they, <laughs> they, they didn't. So, um, and, and I, I've, I've been using pillow for a long, long time. Um, but one of the, the fun things that just like the entry level surface level of using pillow is seeing your, um, sleep cycles charted out. And then when you wake up throughout the night, if you do, and one, one of the neat like kind of moments was seeing, okay, I went from, um, you know, light sleep to deep sleep to REM. And then I woke up and remembering, oh, that was a night, that was that nightmare I had that I woke up from, you know, and it's like seeing that kind of, and then the next level is, you know, what, what can you actually do? You know, caffeine consumption, et cetera, to, uh, improve your sleep not after, after you kind of get the number around it. But yeah, pillow. Thanks for sponsoring. Last this week, we have uh, a story that kind of started Smart out with Ming- news, kind of yeah, yeah. A story that started out with Ming Shi Kuo, and then we had another level of it, and then Kuo came back and and kind of thumbs up. But uh, you know, we we've talked on the podcast about Ming Shi Kuo saying that there'll be a new HomePod later this year, and we, we were kind of uncertain, you know, about does that mean an updated HomePod Mini, or does that mean a return to the full size or a medium size? And optimistically, you know, I'm hoping it's going to be bigger. Realistically, you're thinking, you know, it's totally possible it could just be a new mini. And uh, I think Nine to Five Max Scoop was was more on. This is going to be, you know, through through code references, etc. This was going to be a, a bigger than the mini model. And then, yeah, so Nine to Five Mac found um, references to an unreleased HomePod model hidden in the iOS 16 beta code. Uh, this HomePod is labeled as Audio Accessory Six while the HomePod Mini is Audio Accessory 5, and the original HomePod is Audio Accessory 1. Uh, our reporting by Filippo Epicito goes on to say that it doesn't reveal any other details about the shape or capabilities of the unreleased HomePod, but it does make it clear that iOS 16 is ready to support that new model. Then, Ming-Chi Kuo followed up and says he believes it's a slightly revised big HomePod. Hmm. I mean, cool. that is that. one of the best tweets Ming Chico has ever written because I am so buzzing off of that. Like, that's what we wanted. We have spoken about it so many times on the show. Just make the big HomePod again. Sounds like they're going to do it. Yeah. Will it be received any better than the first time they did it? I don't know. It depends on pricing. If they release it for the exact same price that the first one came out with, then what was the point in killing it off in the first place? So you have to assume it's going to be at least somewhat cheaper. I promise not to call Apple out if they just release it at three forty nine or two ninety nine. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't care. You just bring it back. Uh, what do you? Th- that's very exciting. What do you think about? Um, you know, you, you've had a, a HomePod since release. We've, you know, I, I know people personally who have just their their HomePod has just died. Um, friend of mine's was just kind of kind of rattled and stopped, stopped playing any sounds and it was just up on a shelf for his entire life um i know our former colleague jeff benjamin had has lost some to software updates even and you know we, we've i'm sure you've heard from the other people in, mm-hmm. kind of in the community that of you know the home pod has just fallen apart you know uh, it doesn't last as long as you would hope um so and apple doesn't provide support for it now they discontinued it which is it, yeah, and there's no replacement for it yet. You know, yeah. if you want to just upgrade it because you like, you know, well, it died, and I like it. Uh, HomePod is like already kind of like 
at a disadvantage from other speakers because it's pricier, et cetera. But this is a whole other component to it of just how long do you expect these things to last? And I think for me, I think of HomePod as like one of the more timeless things, like like you know AirPods Max, for example, where yep. you just you don't get frequent updates, but they just last and last. And we haven't, you know, the, the HomePod Mini hasn't been around long enough really to, to judge its lifespan. But I, you know, I don't think I would expect the 2018 HomePod to to be dysfunctional, you know, to to have died after three or four years. But it, that's the case. Have you experienced any of that with your HomePod, you know, and so I have a factor in the new thing. Yeah, I have um, a HomePod literally day of release. So that was like February 2018. And I have a second HomePod whenever they shipped um, AirPlay 2 support. So you could do stereo pairing, which I think was May 2018. Touch wood, both of them still work just as well as they did when I bought them. Mm. So I am happy and lucky that I have not had the issues that lots of other people I've heard have had with their last in reliability. Every time there's a software up to them, I like pray <laughs> and hope that <laughs> this is not the time mine are going to die. Um, but so far they have survived and maybe the sound quality is like 5% worse, maybe, mm-hmm. if you wanted me to really like be nitpicky about it. But overall, I'd say they're basically the same as they always have been. That being said, I would expect them to last this long. Just sure. like you said. Like yeah. the fact that I'm worried they're gonna die is not good. And I think if they hadn't have killed it off, they would have launched a repair program on Apple's yeah. website somewhere. You like yeah. the AirPods Pro, right? So you know the AirPod Pro rattling issue with noise cancelling? And every single iPhone the year after it gets replaced. Yeah. <laughs> I think the AirPod Pro is like a perfect example of that, right? Like AirPod Pros, you expect them to last what, three years, probably three or four years? That's reasonable. A lot of people's AirPod Pros were dying after 12 months, 15 months with weird noise cancellation related issues with rattling and just a funny noise in their ears. And that was a drama, but Apple still sells the AirPod Pros. They launched a repair program for it. You can get them swapped out and you get them replaced for free. The HomePods, if they hadn't have killed it off entirely, I feel like they would have probably launched a repair program for whatever issue is causing all these ones to die so soon because it's not acceptable. But because they don't sell it, they've don't care about it so yeah i hope that whatever new revision they're going to bring out is reliable enough that they don't have those problems longer term hard end Um, yeah uh, we won't know that until three or four years down the line Uh, i would expect a speaker of that price to last at least five years without any issue right maybe probably longer but five years i feel like is a reasonable number Stereo equipment, like you think of speakers from the seventies, you know. Well, exactly, like a lot of speakers exa- <laughs> last for your entire life. But right, yeah, yeah. I'll give them. Look, it's software. You know, it's a smart assistant speaker. At the end of the day, I'll give them some leeway. Right, five years. If I got five years out of you, smart HomePods, and then they died, I'd be a bit upset, obviously, because I feel like they could last longer. But I'd be okay with it. The ones that are dying, two years, three years, not good enough. Which is seemingly a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, no, no Bluetooth. One thing, no uh, auxiliary input like you have on an uh, <laughs> iPod Hi-Fi speaker. Yeah, they're not dying or... because they're um, like all the cases I've seen where they die. It's not because Apple's like discontinued support for it or the operating systems don't support them anymore. It's just like the subtweeters or the woofers die out, so then they don't make yeah. any noise. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it wouldn't matter yeah. in that case if you had Bluetooth or a headphone jack or anything. Like, sure, yeah. sure. 
We need need a right to repair HomePods. It needs to be the next thing on their on their website for the self repair program. So yeah, I love <laughs> it if they come out because again, the HomePods people people acclimatized to the idea of the HomePods after they got discontinued, which we've talked about in the show before, right? Like we were one of the few people actually saying these things are good at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought they were a joke. Um, but even if you ignore all that, the HomePods got better after they got discontinued because they got more software updates and they got the home theater mode support for the Apple TV, including the addition of eARC on the Apple TV, so you could use your HomePod speakers with your actual TV for watching normal television, not just... With your your PlayStation or Xbox. Or your PlayStation, exactly, not just the Apple TV input. So if they were still sold, they'd be even more popular than they were than they were sold, even completely unchanged, because Apple made the software better while they were dead. So bring them back, hopefully at a lower price point, I, I welcome them with open arms. Yeah. So so I sold like a bunch of them from, from having a bunch of them. Um, one I gifted to my to my mom and she lives in another state. But when I go to visit, you know, they use it still, you know, they 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 really just use it for they don't have anything smart home, I don't think. But they just use it for, you know, Siri and playing back, playing back album music, which is plenty enough. And it's them. so good at music playback. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 not even joking. I was listening to it this morning. And I'm still impressed with how it sounds on some songs. Like, sure, yeah, just great, absolutely great. Another one I gifted to um, my ex-wife's grandparents, and um, you know, my so my or some my son's great grandparents. But uh, I, I gifted one, and they bought another because they liked it, and it was on sale. And uh, I haven't heard from them that it's that it's broken. So um, th- those two sound to be good, but but it's just the one friend I you know that that's had a an experience where it just dies and he was quite disappointed so but super hopeful for the homepod future <laughs> i'm happy uh, anything apple can do in smart home stuff and the home and the living environment yeah i'm all for because their strategy in the last couple of years has been so scattershot and unclear yeah sure yep well all right that is the happy hour podcast for this week uh, i think next week we'll get to talk about beta 2 of all the software releases right yeah that should be out next week yeah yeah it's a two-week cycle usually on tuesdays so uh i guess in this case 15 days because it's the week after the one at the keynote but anyway sometimes uh, after yeah sometimes (laughs) after the event they give it another week like beta 1 has a slightly longer period but we'll see yeah 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 looking forward to that uh otherwise if you enjoyed the show please subscribe if you don't already follow the podcast we have an ad-free version and an Apple Podcasts for four ninety nine a month or four ninety nine. Wait, four ninety nine a month or four ninety nine a year. You get ad-free listening uh, and a podcast. We appreciate everyone who does that. We appreciate everyone who supports our sponsors. That keeps both of those things keep the show going, and we love doing the show. Um, and then finally, if you have any feedback, you can email uh, Benjamin or I and I together at happy hour at nine to five mac dot com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Apollo Zach. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C and Benjamin, you're on Twitter at B-Z-A-M-A-A and we will be back next week. Bye everybody. Bye bye.